This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you've been following the war between Israel and Hamas, you have no doubt heard the term genocide being used. The Hamas attack on October 7th was the largest loss of Jewish life since the Holocaust, the event that sparked the creation of the term genocide. Now, allegations of genocide are being aimed at the state of Israel. On October 15th, an international group of more than 800 scholars of Holocaust history, genocide and conflict studies in international law, they released a statement warning that the conditions for genocide are present in Gaza. Now, the scholars wrote that they are, quote, compelled to sound the alarm about the possibility of the crime of genocide being perpetrated by Israeli forces against Palestinians in the Gaza Strip, end quote. Since the release of this statement, the war has only escalated with more civilian deaths. The health ministry in Gaza says more than 5,700 Palestinians have been killed in the war, including some 2,300 children. Now, the fighting has killed more than 1,400 people in Israel, mostly civilians that were killed during the initial Hamas attack on October 7th. So joining us now to provide context is one of the scholars who signed that letter, Roz Siegel is an associate professor of Holocaust and Genocide Studies and an endowed professor in the study of modern genocide at Stockton University. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us, Professor. Hi, thank you for having me today. Now, this is an extremely tense and emotional time, right? A lot of terms are being thrown around and, and there's confusion on when is the right time to use certain terms. So I want to start with a definition if you will, just so that we're all on the same page. Give us the legal definition of genocide. Well, there's the uh, uh, UN Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide from 1948, uh, which requires uh, the special intent to destroy, right? quote, to uh, 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 intend to destroy a uh, group as such, and the group could be national, ethnic, uh, uh, religious, or racial. Um, and the emphasis is on the intent, and then as such, that is collectively, not just uh, individuals. Um, and I think that in uh, Israel's uh, um, retaliation and assault uh, on, on Gaza after the uh, Hamas attack on 7th of October, um, we see uh, the special intent all over the place in Israeli politics and society, uh, all the way from the top, from the Israeli president who uh, said that all the people in, uh, all the Palestinians in Gaza are responsible for the Hamas attack uh, through uh, Israeli defense minister Yoav Gallant in his 9th of October, uh, by now very well-known and infamous uh, uh, complete siege proclamation and uh, uh, a reference to human animals, um, uh, we see it uh, by um, politicians uh, who, for example, uh, call for uh, a second Nakba, referring to the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians in the 1948 war and the creation of the State of Israel. Uh, that is the uh, expulsion of 750,000 Palestinians and destruction of hundreds of Palestinians' villages and towns and neighborhoods in the 1948 war. Uh, and of course, it's all over. Uh, social uh, media and Israel politics and uh, uh, culture by journalists, in many cases, explicit annihilatory uh, uh, language. So we see the special intent, again, on the level of the state leaders and the uh, senior army officers, that's where it right. uh, constitutes the special intent. 
And together with the actions, so once we have thousands and thousands of bombs dropped on uh, one of the most densely populated areas on Earth within uh, two weeks, uh, uh, there can be no pretense for targeting military installations, for militants. Uh, indeed, uh, Israeli army spokesperson Daniela Gari, uh, in the first days of Israel's assault, said specifically, and again, unashamed, that the emphasis is on destruction uh, and not on accuracy. Uh, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing uh, uh, almost uh, uh, 6,000 Palestinians uh, who have been killed until now. A third of them, about a third of them, probably more, are children and youth under 18. Uh, uh, more than 15,000 uh, injured and more than a million people uh, uh, displaced in this uh, 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 very uh, 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 little place. So, yeah. um, so we see what, what we're seeing basically in this, in this 19 days of bombing so far do constitute together with the special intent genocidal killings. And then, of course, we see the complete siege that Gallant proclaimed so the cutting off of water, of fuel, of food, uh, the bombing of hospitals, uh, uh, um, and uh, uh, that creates conditions. That's also in the convention, one of the acts. So there's killings, there's causing serious bodily and mental harm, and then creating conditions calculated to bring about the, the destruction of the group, which is siege policy. Right. Yeah. And I just want to flesh out those those five acts of, of genocide as laid out by the UN that you, you just mentioned there. So there's uh, one, uh, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. There's killing members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, imposing mm -hmm. measures intended to prevent births within the group, and forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. Now, Hamas, as we know, attacked Israel on October 7th. Um, some say what's unfolding in Gaza it's just Israel defending itself. So here is National Security Council spokesman John Kirby speaking last night from the White House briefing room. This is war. It is combat. It is bloody. It is ugly. And it's going to be messy. And innocent civilians are going to be hurt going forward. I wish I could tell you something different. I wish that that wasn't going to happen. Uh, but it is, it is going to happen. And uh, that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it... Uh, dismissible. It doesn't mean that we aren't going to still express concerns about that and, and do everything we can to help the Israelis do everything they can to minimize it. Uh, but uh, but that's, that's unfortunately the, the nature of conflict. Give us your response to that and, and clarify, is there yeah. a distinction between war crimes, crimes against humanity, ethnic cleansing, and genocide? Yeah, so I want to make it, first of all, very clear that I think that, as I've said actually in the last two weeks and written already twice now, uh, I think that the Hamas attack on the 7th of October was a clear case, a horrendous case of war or crime, this mass murder of 1,500 uh, uh, Israelis. Uh, it was also, it also included crimes against uh, humanity. I also wrote yesterday uh, calling to put the people who planned this and the uh, Hamas uh, Palestinians who participated in this mass murder uh, on international, uh, on trial. Um, um, I, I do think that this in no way justifies or excuses uh, the retaliation uh, on Gaza now, uh, which indeed I think uh, uh, constitutes uh, a, a genocidal uh, assault. Um, this is not war. This is not war. What we're seeing 
is again 19 days of constant bombings with thousands of bombs, including uh, 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 white phosphorus bombs, as documented by Human Rights Watch, uh, um, on a defenseless population with thousands of thousands of casualties and numbers are growing uh, uh, all the time. This is not war. This is a genocidal assault against a defenseless population. It's actually an intensification of a 17-year-old siege on Gaza uh, since 2006. Uh, a siege, by the way, that was already the, mo- the, the longest siege of its kind in modern history, which was already in clear violation of interma- international humanitarian law. Right. Now we see an in- in- intensification of that siege. That is not war. And I have to say also, uh, uh, um, and I'll come back in a minute to your question about the difference between war crimes and, and genocide, but I have to say that the idea that this kind of retaliation that we're seeing here, and, you know, the whole world is looking at watching 19 days of constant bombings, right? I want to make this clear. This is a horrendous crime that we're all witnessing. But the rationale of the crime, what we've just heard and what uh, uh, many uh, and what the Israeli government is claiming is that this is necessary to eliminate Hamas and necessary to ensure the security of Israelis. Well, yeah, he's saying he's saying this is the reality of war, right? The the, the tragic yeah, no, and no, inevitable no, reality. No, this is the reality of mass violence of targeting specifically def- a defenseless population. But I want to say that this we know we know from the past, and and the Israelis have attacked Gaza many times during this siege, this seventeen year uh, old siege. Uh, this did not bring more security to Israel, quite to the contrary. This current uh, uh, um, attack, with every day that it continues, uh, uh, there's a danger that many people are talking about and writing about of regional conflagration. This will not, this will this will have various uh, uh, implications, but it will definitely not make Israelis more secure, quite to the contrary, again, it will make them less secure, right? Uh, so that even the rationale of providing security to Israelis, which was always the rationale of of an attack against uh, Palestinians, is simply not does not fit reality. And I want to say also, since these last two weeks, right, we've seen an intensification of the Israeli assault against Palestinians under occupation in the West Bank, right? right. We've already more than 95 Palestinians have been killed. An intensification of army and settler violence against Palestinians. The the intensification of ethnic cleansing in the occupied West Bank, expulsion, the destruction of whole uh, um, uh, Palestinian communities with with hundreds and hundreds of of Palestinians uh, arrested. Uh, Hamas does not control the best West Bank. It wields no power in the West Bank, right? Um, We have to understand the context of of what's happening from the Hamas attack on 7th of October until uh, uh, um, now, um, the context is Israeli settler colonialism, it's Israeli military occupation, it's Israeli siege, it's apartheid policies. This by no means in any way excuses or justifies the, mass, the Hamas mass murder on 7th of October, by, by no means. But if we don't put it in this context, we don't understand how we got where we are yeah. in this horrible time. And we also can't think about possible futures in a different way, not what we just heard. Let's go to another quote unquote war, which is really an assault against Palestinians. Yeah. Let's distort and blur the continued assault against Palestinians in the West Bank, where there is no Hamas. Let's just deny this, the history of the state of Israel, right? 
no, let's perhaps change an approach, right, to think about different kinds of futures. So, so this is completely uh, uh, the, the idea that this will somehow provide security, that this is uh, uh, the correct response, does not fit reality. Uh, and just going back to your question about um, war crimes and uh, genocide. Right, making the all, distinction. Yeah, not all uh, targeting of uh, civilians uh, is a genocide. You need the special intent. That's why there, are, there is indeed war crimes. There's crimes against humanity. Uh, uh, there's various crimes under international law that are very different from genocide. Genocide requires special intent. And that's what we're seeing, as I said, uh, uh, right. in, pol in Israeli politics and society and culture and the media. Uh, and there's a reason we're seeing it. We can talk more about it. But yeah, that's let's, the let, yeah, I have a few other questions for you while I have you, Professor. Because one thing that we've heard certain Israeli officials refer to uh, when they talk about Gazans, they say human animals, quote. When you hear that as a scholar, what what are you hearing? Well, uh, of course, you know, this is a clear dehumanization, right? Um, but I have to say that the, the dehumanizing and demonizing language against Palestinians today that is most dominant is really their, their portrayal as Nazis. Um, and we've heard former Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett uh, on his tantrum on Sky News uh, several days ago say this specifically, right? We're fighting Nazis, quote unquote. There's a lot of now Holocaust and Nazi imagery related both to the attack, the Hamas mass murder on the 7th of October. Uh, 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 but and this, and it's very important to explain to your listeners, that this has a deep history in Israel, uh, in Israeli uh, uh, politics and society. So, you know, uh, in 1982, in the context of Israel's attack in Lebanon, Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin portrayed Arafat, Yasser Arafat, in Beirut as Hitler in his bunker in Berlin at the end of World War II. Yes. Netanyahu, Israel Prime Minister Netanyahu in 2015, uh, uh, portrayed the Jerusalem Mufti, uh, uh, Hajj al Husseini, as the person who planted the idea to uh, destroy Jews in Hitler's uh, mind, and so on and so forth. There are many, many. This has a long uh, uh, history. Now we, we've seen, we're seeing this intensified as well, right? Where Palestinians are portrayed as Nazis, and Israelis are portrayed as powerless Jews. Whereas the reality is that we have a very powerful state with a powerful army right. backed by all the Western powers. Uh, we have a history of this state attacking stateless Palestinians from the 1948 Nakba until today, a history of settler colonialism, military occupation, and siege. Um, so this is a world turned upside down completely. Um, and that's the that's the key demonizing and dehumanizing uh, yeah. uh, language that we're seeing towards Palestinian today. Their their portrayal as Nazis and as as a Holocaust and genocide studies scholar and as a Jewish Holocaust and genocide studies scholar specifically, this is this is you know, beyond deeply disturbing. This mm -hmm. is completely completely wrong, uh, uh, and we we have to address this head on. Is there a conflation happening between? Palestinian civilians and Hamas, or between Israelis and the Israeli government? How should we be thinking about those nuanced distinctions? Well, of, of course, there's a, a you know, I, the, the, the nature of the Israeli attack on Gaza conflates uh, Hamas and Palestinians now. I mean, otherwise, we won't be seeing this level of casualties, right, and the language by Israeli 
leaders and army officers, uh, certainly in the first week of the uh, of the attack. But I think that the key conflation is the idea that <clears throat> this Hamas mass murder on 7th of October, which was indeed the largest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust, without a doubt. The issue is, is that the context of this attack on Israelis, on Israelis, right, is very different than the context of the attack on Jews during the Holocaust. And that's the key conflation that's happening here, right? Mm -hmm. That's the source of the demonizing language of portraying Palestinians uh, uh, as Nazis now and Israelis as powerless uh, Jews. That's the world. Well, and what role, what role do politicians and political ideologies play in, in that? Well, if, you know, a key role, obviously. We've heard Biden arrive in Israel uh, uh, several days ago and give a speech uh, that confirms this portrayal, right, of Israel's as powerless Jews and the Hamas attack is somehow evil, right, pure, unadulterated evil, he said, uh, uh, to quote him, uh, um, which is completely decontextualizing and dehumanizing, right? If we want to contextualize it, we, as I said, we also have to think why we have an intensification of an attack against Palestinians in the West Bank now, right? Why have we actually been marginalizing Israeli mass violence all these years, right? Um, so they, this is the key conflation that we're, we're seeing here. The, the idea that what we're seeing in front of our eyes, right, is like the Holocaust, that's, complete, that's absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely not true. It does not, it does not mean that the horrendous mass murder of Hamas on 7th of October is any less horrendous, right? But to call it evil, which is, which is a very decontextualizing word, it's also connected to Nazis and the Holocaust, right? And to portray Palestinians now as Nazis is to really say we're not going to look at the reality in front of our eyes of a very powerful state, of its history of attacking Palestinians since 1948, right, in their own homeland, of depriving them of their belonging to their own homeland, uh, uh, we're not going to do all that. We're going to actually now say that what we're seeing in front of our eyes is somehow another Holocaust, which is definitely is not. And again, it doesn't it doesn't uh, uh, take anything away from the horrendous nature of what we've seen on the 7th of October. We're back now with more Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. On October 15th, hundreds of scholars of international law and conflict studies sounded the alarm about the possibility of Israel committing a genocide against Palestinian people in Gaza in its retaliation against the October 7th Hamas attacks. We've been speaking with Roz Siegel, an associate professor of Holocaust and Genocide Studies at Stockton University, about how what's happening in Gaza parallels previous humanitarian atrocities and also how language can perpetuate violence. Now, Professor, you've written in an op-ed that Putin distorts Holocaust history as a justification to invade Ukraine. Can you explain that argument a bit? Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen that uh, uh, Putin, when he invaded Ukraine in February 2022, uh, described his act as a war uh, for denazification, um, that is portraying Ukraine and Ukrainians basically as Nazis, uh, in his mind, a continuation of World War II. It's important to say that he did this two years previous. He was invited to Yad Vashem, the main Israeli Holocaust uh, memorial site and research center in Jerusalem, to participate in a large international conference. At that time, 
still included basically as an icon of the West, right? Um, and in that conference, he was uh, he distorted uh, uh, the Holocaust, Holocaust history, uh, alighting the German-Soviet uh, agreement from 1939 that allowed the destruction of Poland in September 1939. And he presented in his talk at Yad Vashem uh, Ukrainians primarily as Nazi collaborators. Two years later, that's exactly what he, that's exactly the rationalization that he used when he invaded uh, Ukraine, right? Mm -hmm. Denazification. Again, uh, uh, creating a world turned upside down, right? Ukrainians facing an unprovoked and brutal assault now became uh, Nazis. We're seeing a very similar thing in a different uh, uh, context, but the similar kind of use of language, do as you, see, you said. Do you see Prime Minister Netanyahu doing something similar? Yes, definitely. I think that we're seeing this this kind of weaponization, as I as I wrote, weaponization uh, of the Holocaust, basically to rationalize and to justify uh, uh, and to decontextualize, but to rationalize and justify state violence, right? To present the people facing state violence, right, as perpetrators and actually as Nazis, right, which is completely contrary to the historical reality of the Holocaust. The Holocaust, of course, was powerless and defenseless Jews facing the the attack by one of the most powerful states at the time, Nazi Germany and many other uh, uh, states uh, across, uh, uh, allied with Nazi Germany across Europe. So it's a complete distortion of the historical reality of the Holocaust that we've seen Putin uh, uh, do. And now we're seeing, again, in a different context, but in a, in a, in a related way, uh, we're seeing the Israeli uh, government uh, do. Mm -hmm. In what ways has the Holocaust impacted Jewish identity and Jewish culture, the, the long-term consequences? I mean, there's that's a very, you know, that we can talk a lot about that, but I think that the, uh, yeah, I, I think that in relation to, uh, to what we're seeing today, um, the Holocaust has created a situation where a very dangerous situation where uh, Jews, Jews are treated uh, in an exceptional way. Uh, and by implication, Israel as self-proclaimed Jewish state, right, is also treated in an exceptional way. And that I think explains the impunity that Israel has, uh, uh, has in international, in, in, you know, uh, in the international arena. Again, think about it, 17 years of siege on Gaza. There was a clear violation of international humanitarian law. Um, in a, a decades-long military occupation that includes a, a whole explicit settlement project of hundreds of thousands of Jews in occupied uh, territory, ethnic cleansing, the, uh, the removal and the expulsions of hundreds of thousands of Palestinians from their lands, again, in their homeland, right? Um, Israel has incredible immunity in the international arena mm -hmm. as a result of this idea that the Israeli state as a self-proclaimed Jewish state uh, is somehow exceptional, right? That's one of the very unfortunate uh, 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 implications of uh, a popular way of understanding Holocaust, uh, Holocaust memory. I do think that this is now changing in significant ways. It's changing among Holocaust and genocide studies scholars, including among Jewish Holocaust and genocide studies scholars, yeah. right? 
who, in view of what we're seeing today, again, 19 days of constant bombings of a defenseless Palestinian population in Gaza now are saying, you know, no more. We can't, we can't, business as usual in Holocaust and genocide studies with this, with, with this element of, you know, Israel as an exceptional state, right? Uh, yeah. This business as usual in Holocaust and genocide studies can't continue. Professor, I'm wondering about international law here and, um, you know, what it says or, you know, what it even does, even putting Israel and, and Gaza aside for a moment. What's the role that international law plays in, in any instance of like reigning in governments? Because some critics are saying that it's, it's really just a, a sim, it's symbolic more than anything. You know, I'm not a expert in international law, so, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't think that I can talk about this uh, too much. What I can say is, again, is that we're, you know, that specifically in the case of Israel, um, with clear violation of international humanitarian law in the siege, with clear violation of international law in uh, uh, the military-occupied uh, territory since 1967, right? Israel um, has an impunity, basically, right? So there's international law. You have to understand it in the frame of international politics, obviously. Um, and this is what we're and and. And if we're if we're looking at what we're it's happening now in front of our eyes in Israel and Palestine and Gaza, uh, then so until now international law has failed uh, uh, in many ways. Uh, maybe you know maybe in relation to this change that I hope we're seeing in Holocaust and genocide studies, uh, uh, we will be also seeing perhaps a change in international law and international legal institutes like the International Criminal Court, International Court of Justice, perhaps. We do, we are seeing a shift, a significant shift in the way that the current Israeli assault on Gaza is discussed in the UN Mm -hmm. uh, uh, these days. Uh, So maybe there is a change, but again, I'm not a scholar of international uh, law, so I can't really say too much about that. So tell us this, how do people heal from a genocide? What are your thoughts? I know that you've you've lived in Israel and you've you've seen the effects of of Holocaust and the you know the intergenerational trauma that comes with that. When you Look, think of I healing, can't. yeah, I uh, uh, I think that uh, what Palestinians are experiencing now, uh, um, this intensification of a decades of uh, state assault against them coupled with uh, uh, marginalization on the international scene and now a very significant discourse, dehumanizing and demonizing discourse, as I said, portraying them as, as anti-Semites and Nazis. And again, all this is not new. It has a it has a history. Also, the weaponization of the discourse around anti-Semitism, right, where critique of Israeli violence against Palestinians for years and years now, for about 20 years now, is cast as somehow an act of anti-Semitism, Right. Or, or if, if Jews are doing it, then they're self-hating Jews and these kinds of uh, things. Um, now we're seeing all this really uh, um, blowing up in our face. How do we how do people heal from this? You know, it's uh, um, I, I don't think that I can answer that. And, you know, at two, two minutes in a radio show like this. But I can tell you this. Mm-hmm. I can tell you this, that um, that uh, if we 
thinking about a different kind of future, um, and if we think really about the lessons of the Holocaust, right, if we want to use this formulation, right, then we need to center the voices and perspectives uh, of those facing state violence and genocide. We need to humanize them. We need to insist on accountability, right? And I've written yesterday, and I, you know, I, I say again, that uh, perpetrators uh, of 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 uh, international crimes, uh, of crime, of war crimes, of crimes against humanity, and genocide, in my view, uh, need to be accountable and stand trial. Uh, both Israelis and Hamas perpetrators and planners of the Hamas mass murder on 7th of October. So there needs to be humanizing of the people facing mass violence. There needs to be accountability. But there also needs to be truth and justice, uh, which is very significant if you think about the, the history, the lessons of the Holocaust. And truth requires, as I said at the beginning, yeah. that there will be a truthful reckoning of how we got here, of Israeli settler colonialism, of Israeli military occupation, of apartheid policies that are well, well documented, of siege, uh, and what, what, how we move forward has to be uh, based on a, diff- on, on, on a state beyond the Israeli settler state. That is, there are 7 million Jews and 7 million Palestinians there, and no one is going anywhere. Everyone is going to live in that place. And in order for everyone to have security, right, the security of Jews depends on the security of Palestinians. The security of Palestinians depends on the security of Jews. For everyone to be secure, there needs to be equality. It needs to be a state that's based on equality, where the humanity of everyone is recognized, where everyone enjoys the possibility of living in dignity and in freedom, mm-hmm. right, in their homeland. Uh, that's a different kind of future. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, in order to get there, we need, as I said, to humanize those who are facing mass violence, to humanize Palestinians. There needs to be accountability, and there needs to be a truthful reckoning in a different kind of state. How that happens practically is a very complex issue, right. uh, uh, which is beyond our discussion. And how people, how Palestinians will heal from this current attack is an, 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 uh, uh, a very, very uh, painful and complex issue. And, and I really, uh, I have to say, I have no idea. Yeah, we'll have to leave it there. Roz Siegel is an associate professor of Holocaust and Genocide Studies and an endowed professor in the study of modern genocide at Stockton University. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.